But whenever we think about seeing, we think about physically seeing, we think about spiritually seeing, and those are really two different functions. Those are two different abilities that we can have. Our ability to see physically is something that we just naturally have, that we are born with, that we are capable of physically seeing things. But seeing things spiritually is something that we have to learn. So as we take a look at this this morning, I want us to think about that. Let's show you this uh, introduction slide. Seeing physically and seeing uh, spiritually are, are different abilities. Believers and non-believers see differently, and we'll talk about that. And then Paul prays that their eyes will be opened so that they might be able to see as God sees. So we'll talk about enlightened eyes see differently, enlightened eyes see and know God, enlightened eyes see the invisible. I'll go ahead and put up that first slide. Enlightened eyes see differently. So let me give you this illustration as we begin this morning. As we sit in this room and we physically look around, we see chairs, we see people, we see books, we see walls, we see windows and various things. But let me suggest to you that if a bat were to fly through this room, he would see this room totally different. Bats do not see like we see. He would be listening for echoes off of objects. That's the way they see. Now, if you could change the way they see, you would change the way they act. In Ephesians, the first chapter, in verses 1 through 14, before we get right into verses 17 through 19, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 14, the 1 through 14, as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, In these opening verses, he wants them to see how God sees them. So I'm going to give you this list, these words that he uses in these first 14 verses. He refers to them as the saints, as the faithful in Christ, as the chosen, as the blameless, as the recipients of God's grace in the beloved, the blood redeemed, the forgiven, those who have hope in Christ, who have an inheritance, believers of the gospel sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's how he refers to them. And he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And as you read that, and you think about the city that he's writing to, and the city that they lived in, the culture that was around them, the society was around that was around them, you would have to, have to ask yourself, Do you see yourself the way God now sees you? Because in the city of Ephesus, one of the things that was there was the temple of Diana. One of the wonders of the ancient world. A place where pagan worship took place. Ephesus was highly immoral, filled with false religion. That's what they had been called out of. And so now as Paul writes to them, you are the saints. You are the beloved in Christ. You are the blood bought. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. In order for them to see that, they had to learn that, didn't they? 
so that they could spiritually see themselves the way God saw them. So here's the first question. How do you see the church? Is that the way you see it? So here's a more important question. How do you see yourself? Because that's the way Paul wanted them to see themselves. So Paul's writing to a group of believers living in a worldly city, home of the temple of Diana, and this is the way I want you to see yourself. This is the way God sees you. Now then, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, down through the first part of verse 19. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, some translations say understanding. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards those who who believe. So you have to ask yourself, why does Paul want them to see themselves differently? The reason why he wants them to see differently is because he knows if they see different, then they will act different. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17, I'm going to skip right into that. In verse 17, backing up, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul says, in the knowledge of Him. So Paul's making this distinction. And he's saying a person who is not a Christian is going to see and know God differently than a person who is a Christian. In chapter 4, I want to read there from verse 17 and 18. In chapter 4, verse 17, it says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Paul's saying, I I don't want you to walk like the Gentiles. And there may have been a time when you were in this same condition. In the darkness. (laughs) And he says they walk in their ignorance. And that's not some kind of just criticism that Paul is making against these people. Those who are not Christians. What he's trying to say is, That's their condition. That's the situation that they are in prior to becoming a Christian, prior to becoming a believer. Darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because they just couldn't see it. So what's he saying? He's saying non-Christians... And Christians see things differently. Believers and non believers see things differently. 
those who believe look at life one way and those who don't believe those who are outside of Christ see life another way would you agree with that? So in verse 17, Paul says, I pray that God will give you wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of Him. When he says that, it's not just Him. It is Him. It's knowing God. But it's knowing all that God has done for you. A spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of Him. And so what he's praying is for them to come to a fuller and fuller knowledge of God, what he has done in Jesus Christ. And if you see different, then you'll act different. Just like a bat. If they see different, they fly different. That's what he's saying. And he's praying that their eyes will be open. You'll come to a greater understanding. Spiritual wisdom and knowledge of God. Now backing up to verse 3 of chapter 1. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? Every spiritual blessing that God has for mankind is found in Jesus Christ. Can you see it? Because that's what Paul wants them to see. If you have forgiveness, if you have been blood-bought, if you are a saint, if you have an inheritance that's laid up for you, if you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, All of those blessings are found in Jesus Christ and he wants them to see all of that. Because if you see different, you will act different. And the way that we come to understand that is by God's Word. And so we see those things by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so as we read these things and we learn what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and when you come to believe it then you say oh now I see it. And when you see it that changes things, doesn't it? Back up for a minute to the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul's making a similar type of argument when he writes to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 18. Listen to what he says. And he's talking about the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. He said, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Paul's saying, here's the message of Jesus Christ and Him being crucified. Here's the message of the cross. 
And some people are looking at that and they're saying that's foolishness. You know what they're saying? <laughs> You're telling me that that Jew that hung on a Roman cross has something to do with my salvation. <laughs> that's foolishness. And he said to those who see it that way, He's not being critical. <laughs> He's stating a fact. He's saying they're perishing. They're outside of the realm of a relationship with Jesus Christ. They are not blood bought. They are not forgiven. They do not have an inheritance. They are not sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, in that condition, they're perishing. But to those who believe, they're being saved by it. <laughs> oh, that cross does have something to do with my salvation. And when I look at it, that's how I was redeemed. That's how I was bought back. That's how I have forgiveness. That was the grace of God. That's how I have an inheritance. That's why I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is talking about seeing that message differently. Two groups viewing the same message one believing the other not believing for those who see those who believe he says that's the power of God now I look at the cross and I say that's the power of God others he's just hanging on a cross <laughs> another victim of a Roman crucifixion. Sorry for him, but it has nothing to do with me. Paul says, how do you see it? Let me give you this other illustration. There was a movie a number of years ago. You may have seen it. It's been a while since I see it, so I'm kind of recalling the details from memory. So, Gerald's our resident movie <laughs> critic specialist. He can correct me if I get this wrong. Field of Dreams. Ever heard of it? Field of Dreams, right? There's a farmer that lives in Iowa. And he builds this baseball field, baseball diamond, out in the middle of a cornfield. People think it's a little bit strange that he's doing this, but he does this. And then after he gets the baseball field all built... There's these players from the past that just show up. They kind of come walking out of the corn. Famous players from the past. There they are. Naming some of them. And they're playing. And at first, if I recall right, it's him, it's his wife, and I think it was his daughter. They can see these players. But others... 
They don't believe what's going on. And they can't see it. If you don't believe, you can't see it. (laughs) But if you believe, then you can see it. If you don't believe, you can't see it. If you do believe, you can't see it. So what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, all spiritual blessings have been placed in Jesus Christ. That's in a relationship with Him. See, oftentimes we talk about being in something and we'll say a person married into that family they came into a relationship with them and Paul's saying in a relationship with Jesus Christ that's where God has placed all spiritual blessings and that's what he wants you to see if you're outside of Christ then you can't enjoy those blessings. So what Paul's talking about is another dimension. Another reality. A reality that's just as real. More real than the one you look around and see. Because the reality that he's talking about is a spiritual reality. And it's for eternity. And the things that you see with your physical eye, one of these days they'll be gone. But that reality will still be there. And that's what Paul's praying that they see. I pray that the eyes of your heart, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. That you'll come to see it. And to come to a fuller understanding of God and what He has accomplished in Jesus Christ. So that we might see and that we might come to grasp. God's love, God's grace, God's forgiveness, His redemption, our inheritance, and being sealed by the Holy Spirit. He said, if you can see that, it'll impact your life. It'll change the way you fly. So in verse 17, he prays, or he says, that he might give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So why does Paul pray? Why does God want us to have this spirit of wisdom and this revelation in the knowledge of him? You know why that is? Because God wants you to be in Christ and he wants you 
to have a relationship with Him. And that's where you'll come to really know Him. The word that Paul uses in verse 17 for knowing, it suggests a full, deep, personal knowledge in contrast to just a superficial kind of knowledge. Because you ever talk to somebody and you say, you believe in God? Oh yeah, I believe in God. And there's kind of a superficial knowledge. You believe in God, I believe in God. We both believe in God. What's the difference? One of them's in a relationship with God, the other one is not. And the one that is in a relationship with God, that's where they not only come to just know, they come to experience being in a relationship with God. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I want to read verses 4 through 6. So Paul's writing to a local congregation. But he's talking about the body of Christ universally. The universal church. All Christians. When he mentions this in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 4. He says, There is one body and one spirit... Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You know what Paul say? <laughs> he talks about the universal body of Christ. Christians everywhere. And he says there's one body. And there's one Lord. And one faith. And one baptism. And that's how we come into that body. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So there's one Lord. So there's one faith. There's a common practice. And God is over all. And He's through all. And He's in you all. In this same chapter, He'll go on to say that God gave some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers for the work of ministry, for the equipping of the saints. So he's saying the body is made up of individual members. Each individual member is important. Each individual member is indispensable. And each one has a place and each one has a purpose. And it's for the building up of the body of Christ. But where's that experienced? It's on the local level. So what Paul writes in the earlier chapters, he makes practical application of it. 
This is where you come to know God. This is where you come to experience God. Knowledge of God becomes fuller when we communicate, interact with one another. And we practice these things in personal everyday life. The one another passages that are talked about in the New Testament where he says you are to edify one another. Submit to one another. Encourage one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. Share with one another. Prefer one another. Knowledge of God, fuller understanding and experience of being in a relationship with Him is known through a local body. Can we see that? That's what he's saying. So Paul is praying that they they come to see that and they understand that. But thirdly, what Paul's really praying for is that their eyes, their understanding would come to see the invisible. I want to read verse 18, the first part of verse 9, or into verse 19 now. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. As Paul uh, states these words, there's three things that he mentions. There are three realities that he wants them to come to see, to understand spiritually. And that's their hope, or hope, and an inheritance, and then power. So first of all, hope. And what Paul's saying is hope cannot be seen with the physical eye. It's only through the eyes of understanding that it can be seen. If you just walk down the street and you just see people physically, can you point at different individuals and say, that one's got hope and that one doesn't? (laughs) Can you do that? You just see them physically. You don't know anything else about them. You know, well, that one's got hope and that one doesn't. The only way you can see which one has hope and which one doesn't or if they both have hope or if they both don't is through the eyes of understanding. Coming to know what their relationship with it, uh, relationship is with God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Paul tells them, he says, Remember, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. He goes, remember, there was a time when this was your condition. But now, he writes in chapter 1, you're the saints, you're the beloved. You're the forgiven. You're the redeemed. You're the one sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
But there was a time when that wasn't you. And remember that? And at that time, you were without God. And you had no hope. In Colossians, the first chapter, Paul talks about our hope is laid up in heaven. And Peter says, in 1 Peter chapter 1, a book that we just studied, that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about hope. Our hope is laid up in heaven. And Peter says that that hope, living hope, it's alive, it's active, is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His life is our life. Because He's been raised, we have the hope also. Because we're in a relationship with Him. So it's kind of like this. I was talking with a fellow one time and he said, tell me the difference. Islam and Christianity. You worship God, they worship worship Allah. It's just God by another name. So what's the big difference? You say Abraham is the father of the faithful. You trace your lineage spiritually back to him. Guess who they trace their lineage back to? Abraham. Only we go through Isaac, they go through Ishmael. (laughs) So he said, what's the difference? God, God, Abraham, Abraham, what's the difference? I go, well, it's pretty simple. What is it? I said, their prophet is Muhammad. He's dead. Our prophet, Jesus Christ. He's alive. He conquered death. Peter says, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter mentions hope. And then in the second part of verse 18, he says, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, his inheritance in the saints. The his is God. He's talking about his inheritance. We have inheritance in heaven. But now he's talking about God and his inheritance. What inheritance does he have? And he says, his inheritance in the saints. So how does God want you to see yourself? Take a look around and you see all that God has created. The heavens, the earth. The universe, the stars, the beauty of creation, all that is contained therein, laid out before God. And you ask, what do you want as your inheritance? What's really precious to you? You know what he says? You. I want you. 
Paul also says that we are the adopted. I said on one occasion, just a little side note for parents, any parent, natural or adopted, we are adopted into the family of God. So you know what you ought to do? You ought to take your kids, line them up, and tell them, out of all the kids in the world, if I could have my choice, you know who I pick? I pick you. That's what he's saying. You're God's. Inheritance. He said, I want you to see yourself like that. Because if you change the way people see themselves, you change the way they act. And then, thirdly, in verse 19, he said, What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Let me read it again. Because some folks say, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19 is the most powerful verse in all of Scripture. So let's read it again. Then I'll explain why I said that. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might power working strength might now let me give you the Greek definitions of those words and then you'll see why people say that some commentators say that's the most powerful verse in all of scripture power dunamis it's the power residing in something or someone. It's the power in them inherently. I'll give you an illustration in a minute. And then he said, according to his working, that's energia. And it's the power with the ability to overcome resistance. And then Kratos, strength. It's power abundantly able to accomplish a goal. They have all the strength, all the power they need. And then might, Isis. This is a little different. It's endowed power or ability. That's given. That's granted to them. So here's my illustration may not be that great, but maybe. If you were in a gym, people go to work out. And every once in a while, you see these guys walk in. I'm not going to pose, okay? <laughs> They're big. And you say, 
He looks powerful. You don't know, but it just looks powerful. That's that first word. Power, inherent. The second word, energy. Now, if that same guy goes over and he bench presses over 300 pounds, that's the ability to overcome resistance. That's working. That's displayed. And then there's Kratos. This is a little different. This is ruling power. And it goes along with the last one. Iscus. It's power that is granted based upon the position that they hold. The President of the United States holds power because of the position that he has, that he holds. The office. Christians can see all of this in Jesus Christ. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and those who walked by just physically saw Him, what did they say? They sneered. They hurled insults. He saved others. Let Him save Himself. Let Him come down from the cross. Because they just saw him physically. But Christians, believers, they see that power. They see that strength that it took to go to that cross, to overcome all resistance, and now hold that position at the right hand of God. Power granted to Jesus Christ. Believers seated. An unbelieving world can't see what Christians see. Christians see the hope of His calling. They see the glory of His inheritance in the saints. They see the surpassing greatness of his power towards those who believe. And Paul prays that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened so that they might come to fully understand and to know God personally and experience what it's like to be in a relationship with him. And in chapter 4, he helps us to understand how that fuller knowledge, how that experience we experience now through a local body, through a local fellowship. We come to a fuller knowledge of God and we come to fully experience Him now. But let us not make this mistake.
As you think about the church, and you think about the way Paul wants us to see ourselves, and we think about how do we see church. Somebody told me here recently, we should have never referred to a building as the church. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Paul never saw the church as a building. Church is people. Christians. And that's the way he wants us to see it. That's the way he wants us to experience it. But he doesn't want us to see it this way. He doesn't want us to see the church like a convenience store. You ever go to Quick Trip? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Go into Quick Trip, go inside, grab something to eat, grab something to drink. You have very little limited interaction with anybody and you go get in your car and you leave. Did I make my point? (laughs) The church is not quick trip. And you'll never fully know God, experience God now if you treat the church like quick trip. He wants us to fully know Him. He wants us to experience Him. He wants us to enjoy Him now and forever. So Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened, that you'll know the hope of His calling, You'll know the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And you'll know the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. Paul says, I pray you'll come to see this. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience unto the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus invites He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He wants us to see that. If you're a child of God and not been living as you should, He wants you to come back. He wants you to enjoy, know Him, experience Him now. And He says that we can have the forgiveness of our sins if we confess those sins and the blood of His Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We can help you in any way. You let us know while together we stand and while we sing.